Well, we come to uh, another uh, time to look at the gospel. Sorry, the uh, letter of one John, and as we know, one John is all about being confident and sure, and to know things uh, that are definite. And we know how important that is. Um, you probably are aware of the fact that um, we're being fed with uncertainty all the time. You notice the way that a lot of the newscasts come. Um, this has happened and this has happened, this, but this, and this has happened and this has happened, but this, and there's a constant uh, aura of uncertainty uh, that's, uh, that's created by the way in which the present, now that's done for interest, I gather, but nonetheless that's the way it happens. But we can live with tremendous uncertainties, but God means us to live with great certainties, and there's two of them uh, in this reading in 1 John to just uh, draw attention to straight away. We've just read uh, from 1 John chapter 4, verse 14. And uh, in this reading, there's two things. I mean, right through the book, he's talking about things that we can be sure of. But here, the two things are, first of all, in verse 16, we have come to know and believe. That's definite, isn't it? Come to know and to believe the love God has for us. That's it. It's good, isn't it? To know that you're loved by God. That's quite something to know. We're going to talk about that um, as we go through. And then verse 17, uh, and this is the key one for today. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence. There it is, the word confident for the day of judgment. So we're not just talking about being able to get through this life. We're talking about being able to die and still be confident. Uh, This is the ultimate uh, confidence, isn't it? to actually stand before our maker and not, and not just say, well, I hope I'll be all right, but to be confident. And uh, our basic point today is that if you've got that one settled, you can then deal with all the other fears that come. That's why um, I'm, I'm calling this one fear to fix all others, but um, it's uh, why I'm calling it that. It's different on your page, uh, but there we are. I've changed my mind since I told... Um, told you what it was. So God is eager for us to be sure of him and he wants us therefore to be sure of ourselves. That's interesting isn't it? If you're sure of God then the basic confidence is fixed and then you can be confident about what you're going to be doing yourself and God wants that. It's fashionable to scoff these days at the idea of a judgment day, particularly the second one, being confident for the judgment day. It's uh, up and down the street. Uh, we, uh, we hear jokes being made about, um, you know, uh, uh, you'll burn in hell because of that, uh, and they don't mean it at all. They're just a way of joking about something that they uh, think that they, uh, they want to talk about. Uh, but it's fashionable to scoff at the idea of a judgment day. They say it's just us. They say it's over the years. It's been the church just threatening people to keep them compliant. Uh, it might well be that the church at various times has done precisely that. Uh, the church hasn't got a good track record. Uh, we're sinners like the rest of everybody. Uh, so sometimes that sort of thing has happened. Uh, so we have to wear that. But it's not true. It's not true that that's what it is. Uh, Jesus himself makes it clear. He says, if you come to the light, uh, then you're quite safe, he says. But if you don't come to the light, you stand under the judgment of God. And the reason you don't come to the light is because your deeds are evil. 
and they're all going to be judged one day. So that just comes after John 3.16. So if you like, John 3.16, God so loved the world, uh, goes on and says, For God sent his Son into the world not to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And everyone who comes to the light is saved from that. So he talks about condemnation straight after it and why we avoid this truth. But it's a real truth. There is a judgment day coming. Uh, and the, Jesus and the apostles are very clear about it. We've already quoted Jesus, and you could quote uh, quite a lot of passages from Jesus that talk about, about judgment and hell. In fact, I think somebody has gone through the New Testament and found out that the person who speaks most about hell in the New Testament is Jesus. It's there all right, isn't it? That is, there is a judgment coming, and everybody has to face that. Uh, and we need to be quite clear about the f- that fact is true. And, um, uh, and then Paul talks about it. For example, when he's talking to the Athenians, he, he talk, starts with talking about their idols, but then he talks about how that can't be God uh, and how God looks after everybody. But he says he's also appointed a day in which he is going to judge the secrets of everybody. And... He has given assurance of this. In other words, this is really going to happen, and the assurance is that he's raised Jesus from the dead. Now, a couple of us were talking the other day, uh, just yesterday morning, actually, and um, about why that might be true. And one, a very astute young fellow, said, well, that would be because if Jesus rises from the dead, then there's life after death. You can't just be talking about this life. You've got to talk about the next one. So, have you got a certainty that is sure about what's coming afterwards. That's what's important, you see. Uh, God has given us an assurance to the world that the world's going to be judged by raising his son from the dead. There's lots of other reasons, I think, but I think that's a good one. So no one escapes the reality of the fact that judgment is coming. And remember this reading is telling us that uh, we love uh, and because love has casts out fear and it casts out fear of the coming judgment. So we need to talk about the judgment first to know what this fear is that's been cast out. Um, so the, the, um, no one escapes the reality of the fact that we're going to be judged. Um, conscience, if you like, is an early warning system. You know that oh, we have these days because of all the threats that are around, um, including on our computers, we have early warning systems. Danger, danger coming, danger coming, get down into your holes or whatever. So uh, where places are at war, they have early warning systems. Now I'd like to think that our conscience is not all of God's judgments, but it is God's judgments. You know, we've been made in God's image. He actually formed us. He didn't just form our, our, our bodily parts. He formed our consciousness. It's interesting. We can analyse bodies, but nobody, including the people or the high-tech people in artificial intelligence, can't tell you what consciousness is. We know we've all got it. But God not only formed bodies, he formed consciousness. And he formed them with a conscience. And that's there. <laughs> you, can't, you can't deny it. It's just how it is. And so I like to think that that's part of how God judges us. He also judges us by sending dismal things into our communities like Romans 1 tells us that's also his judgments and then there's a final judgment so we're living with judgment all the time really but particularly just think for a moment about conscience, we're telling ourselves all the time if what we've done is right or wrong 
Just let me criticize you and see what happens inside you. <laughs> An immediate reaction, isn't it? Uh, but, but, and, and, and why is that there? Well, God's created us in his image. And, and we know we're meant to be right. So, dare the high, you know, woe died anybody that says we're not. And so there's a lot of, a lot of uh, what we do is about self-justification. Because we've got a conscience. We can't avoid it. It's just there. Uh, if you like, it's like a shadow. Uh, if you're standing in the light, you can't help it. You've got a shadow. It's there. You create it. And if you like, in another way, our conscience is our shadow. You can't remove yourself from it. God's shining on you. He hasn't gone away. He hasn't said, oh, that lot didn't work out, I'll just make another batch. No, he made us. And the light's still shining on us. And as long as God's shining on us, we've got a shadow. That's the conscience. You can't avoid the fact that you've, uh, you belong to God. And so he's like, um, many try to die dead in this sense, as we said, but it turns up anyway. And we're locked into having to be good, even if our definition of a good is different from the world's. Isn't it interesting? Um, I grew up um, in a fairly uh, conservative Christian environment. And sometimes I think some of the things we were told were what I'd call fundamentalist. Um, in the sense that if it's doubtful, it's dirty. You didn't think about it. You just, do you know what I mean? It was, it was just bad, full stop. Uh, and so that's what we call fundamentalism, where the things are either black or white, there's no shades of grey. Well, you you're not encouraged to think. You just say, oh, it might be bad, so keep away. Um, I can see that exact same phenomenon now happening in the world. The world is incredibly pharisaic. It's all the time trying to tell us it's been good and that we've got to overcome all the bad things that have happened in our past history. Do you understand what I mean? And what's driving that? Well, conscience is driving that. And uh, so Australia might, um, and uh, the West might totally redefine what good and bad is, but they're still driven by good. They can't stop it. And so they have to appear good. And so there's what we call virtue signaling. It's the new form of Pharisaism. So I'm just illustrating the fact that none of us escapes the judgment of God. Um, and so how conscience and the fear of it, uh, being, uh, of there being a God in whom we, to whom we must answer, is underneath all, of the, <clears throat> all the other fears that we have. If we really did believe what we celebrated just a moment ago at the communion feast, that this is a love feast, where God in unequivocal terms, sealed in blood, says, I love you. And you've received that as what it is, as a love feast. And you know then that this love will overcome all fears, including the fear of judgment. In fact, it's because it overcomes the fear of judgment. That's what he says at the end of the reading. Um, because it's overcome the fear of judgment, it overcomes all the other fears. Fear has to do with punishment. But punishment um, uh, has to do with God's judgment, of course. So here's some answers from 1 John 4 as to how we can find help in dealing with uh, being confident about the last judgment. Um, I suppose, to be quite honest, I don't spend a lot of my time thinking about death and judgment. 
I, I don't honestly. Um, I suppose I've got used to the fact that I'm not going to hell. But it's still a remarkable fact. And it may be that I'm not as out front as I thought I was. Because I have other fears that get to me sometimes. But God is telling me, if you can be sure that at the end of your days, you're going to stand before God. And you're going to be glad to be there. All your other fears have got a way of being dealt with. We really need to be clear about the fact, A, that there is a judgment, and B, that we're going to stand and be glad to be there. It's amazing, isn't it? What's ahead of us? This is confidence that we're talking about. So first of all, here's some answers that 1 John provides in this little reading that we've had. First of all, 1 John chapter 4 and verse 14, he says, uh, we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Saviour of the world. So first of all, the Father Christ has come. I've, I've called all of these uh, starting with C, four Cs. The first one is coming. The next one is confessing. The next one is... Um, how am I going to ask you? Is being courted. Hey, that's a good one for you, Aaron. Being courted. And then to confidence. So there's your four C's, all right? The first one, Christ has actually come. He says, we, uh, what he says here, we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Saviour of the world. John's seen him. That's what he says. We have seen. And we're telling you. I put my hand in the holes and he's, well, I don't know if he did what he was asked to do, but the Lord certainly invited him to, to actually touch the body of the risen Christ. That's something, isn't it? That's evidence. Don't everybody t- tell you that you just live in a, in a hairy fairy world of what people believe in their heads. We've got an evidence-based religion. It's based in fact. And we've got to make that point clear to people who think that we're just believing ideas. In fact, I think it's the only religion that's based in fact like that. It's historical. It really has happened. So Christ has come. He sent his son to be the saviour of the world. And that's a very personal act for God. Think of God sending his son on a journey to do what he needed to do for us. Uh, no small thing is it God is heavily invested himself God so loved that's powerful isn't it it's quite something if I love just ask Chris you know she notices the difference if I do or I don't well what about God loving that's got to be something doesn't it God is personally invested in this God so loved the world so uh, he's um, He's, he wants us to take notice of that. You remember Jesus told a parable one time about sending his son to get the rent from the landowners? And the little phrase that Jesus uses in the Lucan version of that is, surely they will reverence my son. Uh, it's a very personal act for Christ to come into the world and for him to be sent. Uh, into the world and not only that but he makes propitiation for our sins back in verse 10 he says not we're not it's not because we love God but that he's loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins now this is also very personal because propitiation is a big word that's sometimes uh, translated atoning sacrifice um, or other words but uh, propitiation is a good word and it actually means to turn aside somebody's anger 
You know, if somebody's coming for you with a knife and somebody's able to intervene and say, look, you're not going to gain anything out of stabbing us, fella. You only go to jail. You know what I mean? You're probably not going to kill him anyway. You know, that would be, that would avert somebody's anger, wouldn't they? So you, you understand what, propitiation is a big word, but it's a simple meaning, isn't it? And very simply, uh, God cannot uh, look at creatures he's made and uh, see them go astray and in fact defy him and just say, oh, doesn't matter, you know, make another lot. That would be saying that we didn't matter. And some, we've just got to get hold of it. I mean, we all know we matter, don't we? And that's again because of the image of God in us. That's what's, you know, one of the bedrocks of our whole, uh, whole uh, Western nations is that we believe in the dignity of man. Why? Because God made us in his image. If you forget God, you forget the image, so you start treating people badly. Uh, so here we have, we're made in the image of God. And, uh, and so it matters what we do. It really does. And if we defy God, and God doesn't do anything about that, then he's not only saying that he doesn't matter, he's saying we don't matter. So God's wrath is an important factor in who he is. And God sends his son specifically to deal with that issue. And saying, I don't want my creatures to suffer my wrath. That's why he sends his son, to avert that wrath, to stand between us and the person with the dagger, and to reason in that case, but in this case, to actually take the death himself. So that when it's done, the wrath is done. The averting of anger has not been a temporary thing as it would be if a person attacked us, but it's been a permanent averting of wrath for everybody who trusts in Christ. It's astonishing. So all of this has happened historically. It's fact. And uh, it's interesting that Islam uh, does not acknowledge, well, some versions of Islam do not acknowledge that Jesus died, but rather that he, he was in a swoon and that he was taken off the cross before he died. So there was no resurrection. They still believe he's alive. He's never died after 2,000 years. That's, a, his, that's, his, that's Muslim belief. Do you see how this, in one way or another, we try and avoid the history because the history is telling us something. The history is saying that God loves the world. He sent his son. And he sent his son to be a propitiation for it. So that's the first thing. Uh, why are we confident? We're confident because Christ has come. There's been a coming. And secondly, there's been a confession. So the first one comes down from God. The second one goes up from us to God. We confess in verse 15. We have come. We conf whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. Confession is more than doing some history and theology. You can study up some books and say, oh yeah, yeah, yeah I reckon yeah, that, that'd be right, that's who he is. That wouldn't, be, that wouldn't be a confession. A confession is recognising what's happened and that what's happened is that God has so loved the world that he gave us his only son that whoever believed in him would not perish. Not perish. See that? Not perish. Go to hell. That would not go to hell. Put, the, put it in its raw terms. 
but have everlasting life. Uh, so that's the, the reality of what God has done, and we confess that. You know, you don't confess that. It's a bit like Peter saying, uh, when he says, do you want to leave me also? When some people were leaving Jesus, and, and Jesus asked the disciples, do you want to leave as well? And Peter, I think, answered on behalf of the disciples, he said, to whom else can we go? You've got the words of eternal life. That's confession. That's acknowledging not only the fact, but the meaning and the joy of it. So we know that Jesus is God's son, and we know that he's laid down his life for us, and this gospel penetrates our exterior toughness. You know, we're not like billiard balls that just bounce off each other, and that's one of the complaints made about modern life, isn't it? We're just like billiard balls, and we bounce off each other as we go around our life, and, how you going? We're going all right, mate. Yeah, we should be fine. Okay. You know, that's billiard ball stuff, isn't it? Just bouncing off each other. But what about the compassion? What about the knowing of each other? Well, this gospel penetrates our exterior toughness. We're being stalked by our shadow, our conscience. But then a saviour is announced and Jesus comes closer to us than our own shadow. Looking behind you to see if you've got a shadow. Worried about your conscience. Your conscience is the deepest thing of all in a way. Ah, not quite. Jesus goes deeper than your conscience. And his word is more powerful than your conscience. That's wonderful, isn't it? So there's a coming and then there's a confession from us. And then thirdly, there's a courting. It's a funny word to use, isn't it? But I had to find something starting with C, you son. So there's got to be a courting. And what do I mean by that? Well, here it is in 15 and 16. I'm just going through the passage. Whoever confesses, which we've just talked about, that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for That's courtship. Do you see where I get it? So, day of Pentecost. People have made a terrible mistake. They've killed the Messiah, right? And they say, what will we do? And he says, well, repent and be baptised in the name of Jesus for the remission of sins. And when you're baptised and receive, what do you receive? Well, didn't he say the remission? No, he says you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Forgiveness comes to us as a person. Now, that's forgiveness, isn't it? If somebody says, I forgive you, they'll never want to see your face again. That's not forgiveness, is it? But if somebody says, I forgive you, and I want to come and live with you, that's a bit different. Do you see how forgiveness has come to us as a presence? We live in God, and God lives in us. So, we have come to know the love that God has for us. There's a coming, true. There's a confession, but there's a courtship. And if you like, this present life is learning to understand that God loves us like every marriage is coming to understand that you love each other. You don't do it straight away. Sorry. You do it, you know what I mean? You learn to love, really. Is that true? You learn to love, don't you? And you learn what love is over a period of time. And so this life, if you like, is learning to know 
that God loves us. It's good, isn't it? And all this leads to confidence. We on earth, and here's how he puts this, we have come to know, and by this love is perfected with us. He's not saying we're made perfect lovers, but he's saying that God's love comes to its goal and has its proper and complete result by what it does in us. God's love can't be kept in heaven. He's sent it down in the person of Jesus. He's awakened it so that we confess that it is true. He teaches us by living us with us that it's actual and we have a courtship. And now we know and we're convinced uh, that it is actually true. And, and how does this work out? He says, there's no, um, um, that we may have confidence for the day of judgment uh, because as he is, that is Christ is, so are we in this world. Now, I don't know if you um, can pick up what that means just by saying it like that when you say it quickly, but um, what does it mean? As Christ is, so are we in this world. Well, we first of all have to ask, how is Christ in heaven? How are you going? How is Christ in heaven? Well, I'm sure that Christ is very happy in heaven. He's finished the work that he came to do. He said it's finished. And the Father has vindicated him. According to 1 Timothy 3.16, he was vindicated in the spirit, meaning he was raised from the dead. Not only so, he's been exalted at the right hand of God. If you ask Christ how he is, I think he'd say he's going fine. Wouldn't you? I mean, I'm being rather casual about it, but do you understand what I mean? As he is. He is the son of the father's love. And he has done what his father wants. And he says, for this reason, my father loves me, that I keep his commandments and do what he asks me to do. And he's done what he's asked to do. And he's basking in his father's love. Is Christ doing well in heaven? He's doing fine. As he is, have you got this? So are we. And we're still here. Do you believe that? Is that how the courtship's working out for you? Yes, you admit that Christ has come. You confess that it's true. The courtship's happening. Are you convinced? This is the way you're convinced that you are as he is. And he's done fine. And you're where he is and in the same love. Love has changed our whole situation, hasn't it? Not our love, but God's love coming to its goal in us. Yeah, we love for sure and we better because he makes that clear. I could have added another C called in correspondence. In other words, we've got to be like God. Uh, if God loves like that, well, don't be any different. <laughs> of course. Um, so I won't go there, but nonetheless it's there. Uh, God has changed, love has changed our whole situation. Bitterness is gone. Suspicion's gone. Anger's gone. And envy's gone. We've discovered love, true. 
And so has fear. So has fear. Perfect love casts out fear. You're afraid? You're afraid of what? All sorts of things in this world makes us afraid, don't they? What the government's doing, what the doctor's going to say, what our children might want, do, or whatever. All sorts of things can make us afraid. True? Perfect love. Not just any love, perfect love. The love that starts in heaven, travels to earth, confessed by us, experienced by us, makes us confident that we will stand before God on Judgment Day. And on that day, as he is, so shall we be. We will be as received as easily as Christ was received into heaven by the Father. Believe that? Well, that's going to talk to your fears, isn't it? Perfect love casts out fear. He who does fears is not made perfect in love. Well, there's probably a bit of work to do for all of us, isn't there? But we're in a courtship and uh, Christ is actually living with us. Let me just finish with a little, um, can't resist it really, uh, but it's in Revelation 3. Which was the worst of those seven churches to which Christ wrote? We usually say it's the last one, isn't it? And we say it's the last one because they were lukewarm. And effectively, Jesus says, you make me sick. He says, uh, if you must you repent, I'll spew you out of my mouth. That's where I get that from. He didn't like the Laodicean church. Well, say that again. He wasn't approving of the Laodicean church. But what did he say to them? I'm standing at your door and knocking and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door I will come in and sup with him and he with me love's not just a theory love's happening it's happening now I shine on the cross it's been exalted to heaven it's been confessed by you and me but it's a love affair that's going on right now He's wanting you to know it. And he's wanting you to know so surely that you're confident about standing before God. And that'll put paid to a lot of other fears that we might have. Let's just give thanks. Dear Heavenly Father, we are so grateful to you for your kindness to our race, to our world, and to us in particular. And we ask now, Father, that your your love would hit its mark and have its goal in us as we receive this word from you and as we walk in its savour until we see you face to face. And we ask this, Father, for your name's sake. Amen.